Hello, and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Dabaoki, David Brothers, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher. You can follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com and our publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. This week, we are reading Boko no Hero Academia, as the weebs say. But for the rest of I'm us, out. it's My Hero Academia <laughs> by Kohei Horikoshi. Oh, my God. Yeah, here we go. We're in in it. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. I knew it was going to be that kind of show just based on, like, Chris was a little bit more amped up when he was introducing it. Like, I knew (laughs) there was something coming. Yeah. Yeah. Boku no heroing at this episode because that's how everyone online discusses it because they read it illegally. <laughs> Actually, in the original script, it says that I'm supposed to kick it around and have our co-hosts introduce themselves for a moment. I think that's a good idea. Let's do that this mm-hmm. week. Deb, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Deb Aoki. I read too much manga and I have friends who help with my affliction. <laughs> Fantastic. David? I am David Brothers. I edit comic books. I edit manga at the Manga Factory, and I read too much manga. Actually, I read less manga now that we started the podcast than I did before the podcast. So I don't know what it is. <laughs> this has cured you of that? <laughs> it has. <laughs> I read far more. Chip, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chip. I write Batman. <laughs> oh, Perfectly. Weird. Weird. You know what that reminds me of, Chip? Weird. There's this resume, right? There's this, this legendary resume, and all it says is, name of this person, and his whole resume is, I founded Google. <laughs> 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 that could be you, but I wrote That's funny. I, 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 I said yeah. it as a joke. I don't know if that person said it as a, uh, <laughs> a joke. <laughs> I love this person who's just listening to our show is like 70 something episodes in. It's like, and oh, no idea that's who, who we are. are. <laughs> oh. We're going to get a lot of new listeners. A lot of people read my academia. It's sort of like the spy family episode. It's like all of a sudden people are like, Oh, there's a podcast about that. Oh, so true. I wanted to do that. All right. Well, let's just shit on this. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's no. do it. <laughs> Chip, do you want to start talking about the color paint? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> This week, as I mentioned, we are reading My Hero Academia by Kohei Warakoshi. It is serialized weekly, give or take, in Shonen Jump magazine. I believe that is a magazine you are all familiar with at this point, I hope. It is a digital and print-in-Japan-only magazine. This has been running for a really long time now. The most recent chapter of this manga is 356, which I think equates to like volume 33 or 34. I think 31 is the newest one that's just about to come out. It's been, it's been coming for a really long time. We've read a lot of Shonen on the podcast. Read a lot of Shonen Jump, actually. We read Spy Family, which was a Jump Plus uh, series. We read Don to Don. And the one that's closest to this, I think, is we read Naruto. Naruto, uh, if you are also <laughs> not on the weeb train. We, which I feel like this is maybe closest to that. I picked this book, uh, going back to that episode, because I wanted to talk about something very popular. And I was like, I'm going to just pull up the list and see what the, most, the best-selling manga of last year was in English. And the best-selling manga of last year in English was actually Attack on Titan. And I don't want to talk about Attack on Titan yet. The second best-selling manga of the year was My Hero Academia. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's do My Hero Academia. I wanted to talk about this as a sales phenomenon. This is like reading, you know, maybe a year or two ago. But it was like it would have been like reading Naruto at the height of its popularity as opposed to years after it had finished. It's talking about a series that remains incredibly popular and is maybe as popular in Japan as it is in North America. 
which is not how things went. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And it's something for kids, like straight up. I think that there's a lot of people of a lot of ages who enjoy this, but this is very firmly aimed at like the Shonen Jump sort of 12 to 16, 10 to 14, depending on who you talk to, demo for manga. It brings us to it brings us to our opinions, our first opinions on the book. I'm going to go classic this time. I'm going to go alphabetically. Deb, what did you think of reading My Hero Academia <laughs> Volume 1? And was it your first time actually reading it? Are, are you a big Boku no Hero Academia fan? <laughs> Not at the risk of sounding obnoxious, like 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 many a weep would, I've been reading it since the first chapter. <laughs> Woo! Deb's the OG as usual. But this time I don't have a border sticker on the back of it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what the Naruto book had. It was so nice to read this again after so many years. Like I hadn't read the, the first chapters in a long time. And it's really, I guess one of the things that struck me was how, you know, like... Um, well, I, th- I remember the first thing that super impressed me about this book was that it was so much fun, mm. that it was a superhero story, but it was very unabashedly about kids, about young, you know, teens, mm-hmm. like predating teens. Like, like I feel like the American superhero comics that are about teens, they're like many adults. They're not like kids. Like they can all vote and buy guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, <laughs> It's kind of, it was kind of refreshing to see like, oh, you know, that they had kid problems, but they weren't, how do we say, boring kids, like a lot of boring, edges sanded down kids in American kids comics, you know, where they're all very nice and sweet and good. And, you know, and the, and the villains are just kind of defanged. This is like, they're actually in danger. Mm-hmm. And it brings up I- interesting dynamics of their relationships, like Kachan and I- Izuku you know the bully and the and the powerless boy the mentor and you know all might his mentor and you know trying to get into a school so it's it's kind of built it has a lot of those great shonen manga type of uh, premises mm. a weak guy has a, has an opportunity to become stronger and better and that he's you know the power of friendship and effort and all that stuff but it's still fun i yeah i don't know i just thought it was funny because you know, like All Might just seems like a stereotypical American hero, and yet he's not. Yeah. Mm. Mm, there's, it's just a really fun mashup. I enjoyed it. Cool. David, what did you think of My Hero Academia <laughs> Volume 1? Has it been, a, I guess it's been a while since you've read it as well, I assume? Yeah, I was trying to think of how to one-up Deb saying that she was there from Chapter 1. So I was there from the Horikoshi's prior series, Barrage, which also mm. ran in Shonen Jump for two volumes and was not successful at all, but it had like a style and approach that I liked quite a bit. So when my Mm. heroes started coming out and jump, I gravitated towards it pretty much immediately. Mm. One punch man had kind of already laid the foundation for kind of Western superheroes done Japanese style. And this is just not the nail in the coffin that implies an ending. Like this sort of blew the doors (laughs) off, let's say. Okay. That's a better metaphor, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I grew up on Marvel comics more so than DC comics. And I was an X-Men and then a Spider-Man guy. And this is what if Spider-Man joined the X-Men in a way? Like part of mm. what was fun about X-Men is that it implied that anyone could be a hero and eventually everyone would have, would have powers and maybe kind of be a little bit of a freak. And this really delivers on that idea where literally everyone is, you know, super heroic in some way. So it really struck me, like the purity of it, like it feels like a post X-Men comic, 
Like they learned mm-hmm. the lessons from the soap opera, from like sort of the sociopolitical aspect, like with the prejudice and the politics, and like really whittled it down to this really fun, remarkably kid friendly comic. And I was looking, you know, I before I worked at the same manga factory that makes My Hero Academia. I used to write about comics and manga online, and I was looking to see when I first t- started talking about My Hero Academia, and it was probably the best and worst manga panel for the dead put on in 2015 <laughs> where it pops mm. up as one of our picks for best manga for kids and we did that panel in july and i think this book came out in what august the previous year no august yeah. that year so we chose it before it was even in print as being one of the best so it's really cool looking back and seeing kind of all the things they were doing right at the time the different things like they've completely left behind there's even one thing I still don't quite understand what hero it's supposed to be on the first page. There's all those little homages where it says fantasy became reality. Mm. Yeah. There's one guy that maybe is Dr. Midnight, but that seems weird. But this book is full <laughs> of these little touches where I'm like, oh, this makes me slow down to look at the art sometimes, you know? So it was kind of a comic built for me. Very pro my hero academia. <laughs> but with that said, oh, I'm like is. 15 volumes behind. So please don't tell me any spoilers. <laughs> Everyone is. <laughs> I haven't offered up an opinion, so I'm going to give Chip the actual last word in this first round this week. I was blown away. Yeah, I think you recommended it on the panel, and I hadn't been reading the weekly chapters. Mm-hmm. But then I started reading. I read it the, from the first volume. The second came in, and I was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is someone who has read all of the things. Yeah. Now you've got me actually wondering who that is, if that actually is like... Dr. Midnight. That's weird. It's either that or Moon Knight. Like, not many people have a crescent symbol in the middle of their head. But, like, there's yeah. Devil Man, Ultraman, Spider Man, Superman, Common Rider, and Wolverine. Like, very obvious homages. Wait, yeah. where are you referencing? Oh, page five. Yeah. With the big spread? Oh, no. After the one, the, the page spread. after that one. Page after it. Oh. Okay. Oh. Oh, I see it. I see it. Okay. A little copyright infringement corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in shadow. Yeah. Who's the guy in the upper right hand corner? That's the like that's the one I couldn't maybe. That's Kaito oh, yeah. Ace. That's that's Kaito the guy Ace? the hero from the Shotaro Ishinomari Museum. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not common oh, right. Well, that's, huh? that's cool. That's actually quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Japan's first superhero guy. That's that's kinda of awesome. Yeah, so I loved this and I think the thing I loved the most about it was how idiosyncratic the art was. I was kind of like Falling out of love with superhero stories around that time and kind of starting to get the Marvel Universe overload stuff, even for like the very few that I had seen and the comics. I, I mean, I've been reading the comics for like 30 years at that point. So, yeah, I thought it was a little bit I didn't care as much about the superheroes, but he got, they got it right. There was no obvious problems for me. But the art for a first chapter was so sort of idiosyncratic and sketchy, but not in the way that we usually mean that, like in a almost like like street style, like graffiti a little bit and a little mm-hmm. bit like sort of like some of what maybe Humberto Ramos was doing. I always compare it to Chris Bacalos, but it's in a completely different space. And then, and then honestly, the American superhero stuff and then some, some other indie comics on like real Johnny the Homicidal Maniac vibes <laughs> on All Might when he turns back into his sort of regular form. So yeah, I was really blown away. Like if you look at page 13 and you can sort of see like the, the plasticness of the faces as they sort of exist over top of the skulls. And that's mm. like a real like, Joe Mad Humberto Ramos kind of a feeling for me because I, you know, 90s image kid. And mm-hmm. it's amazing to sort of see that come 
back around you know like those guys that i loved in the 90s like even in the the mid 80s like art adams stealing as much as they possibly could from manga to tell stories and then see someone like this who's clearly influenced by that brand of superhero comic i thought was like just just a fascinating just a fascinating book and generation x was the thing that i compared it to because the art was idiosyncratic like piccolo's was on those series and it was a first volume and it was kids in school but yeah this could be this could I, I could see how it was going to be people's favorite comic. I didn't think it would be as big as it's become. Mm. Yeah, right place at the right time, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm, I was happy to pick this and read it again. It did surprise me because of how, let's say, codified the art has become in the latest chapters and because of the anime adaptation where all of a sudden things have to be on model all the time. So you can't quite do as extreme a like, stretch or a pull or a whatever with the faces because you know things are on model with animation especially but you know obviously artists develop as they as they go but yeah it was it was amazing to go back and see this first volume so that's how i felt about it which brings us to our friend chip chip you said that you had wanted to read this for a little while that you had been like meaning to read this because so many people talk about it and write about it in your sphere in your superhero comic sphere tell us about that scott snyder was reading it with his kids and there are a few other comic creators, like especially like dads with kids that want to get them into superhero comics because they work in the superhero comic industry, but somehow their kids don't like the thing that dad does. This seems to be like the gateway, or or at least a, a bridge between you know the kids who love Naruto and the dad who loves Superman, mm-hmm. and put those together. So yeah, I, I wanted to check it out for a while, and and I checked it out, and it's uh it's good. <laughs> good good or good good it's good in the sense that like i get why kids love it and i can see that it's good it doesn't really necessarily do much for me there were a few jokes and stuff in it i quite liked and there were definitely a lot of bits of the art that i quite enjoyed i didn't really dig a lot of the kind of page designs again it feels like kind of one of those books that's like designed in chunks Mm -hmm. not necessarily like like oh uh, we did this panel we did this panel we did this panel but they didn't necessarily design a page but that's like that's my little uh hang up but yeah it was it was it was super solid and there there were some chuckles and i like the main character deku is it am i pronouncing it right yeah you You are Oh, thank God. I don't want to be torn apart. Yeah, All Might is a fun, funny, weird character. I absolutely did not care for the way he's drawn his superhero form. It just reminded me of like comic artists, like like low, mid-level North American comic artists who were like in their like 60s when McFarlane and Liefeld came along. And then they had to start drawing like McFarlane and Liefeld. Like, like yeah. they were like, oh, I guess you add all these lines, oh. but like, but they didn't know how to put the lines down or how to vary line widths or anything. Like, the design of All Might just really felt like that. <laughs> and that's on purpose, and I loved it. Like, they were trying to emulate that kind of thing, but I think they were, I don't think they were necessarily good at the emulation of it. Hmm. And I don't think they were like trying to make it bad on purpose, right? Like I know, I can see Chris is, is kind of looking. I wonder like, oh, I don't know. It's like, okay, but sorry, we'll get into it. No, they're still talking. laying. They're still laying some lines down where you know the lines should probably go, but they're just not. Nothing's enhancing the figure at all. Mm. And yeah, I like. I like. I liked a lot of the art in it. In it. I don't have the Joe Mad uh, Humberto Ramos kind of. I mean, I, I appreciate their work, but I don't have the nostalgia love for it because I was 
out of comics really during that period. But yeah, I, I liked I liked a lot of the character designs. The <laughs> but I really really loved All Might in his normal human form. I yeah. made a note of what I started calling him in my head, which was Chad Skellington. <laughs> <laughs> Because he just, he totally looks like Jack Skellington, who's just like, just like a good dude. <laughs> uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. It's, it's such a remarkable character design because it is so out of step with not only All Might, who is himself out of step with the rest of the characters, but mm-hmm. Chad Skellington's out of step with like every other character in this book. <laughs> like it's just such a, such a cool, weird design. Yeah, yeah, that definitely reminded me a lot of Bacallo and mm. and Ramos. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool. When I was selling comics at the dawn of the Shonen Jump sort of manga explosion, it was maybe 2005, 2006, one of the things, especially when selling to teacher librarians, that I would do would be like, this is just like Harry Potter, but it's with ninjas, and that's how I describe <laughs> Naruto. This is just yeah. like Harry Potter, except it's with pirates, and that's how you describe <laughs> One Piece. You go like that. And this is just like Harry Potter, except it's with superheroes. Like you've got the like three characters mm-hmm. that are best friends, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. And then the rival, the, the Draco, you know, et cetera. So I, I'm curious now, like, because we've, we've maybe covered, we've covered Naruto. We've covered like the last big American shonen series before this one came out. How do you compare this? Anybody uh, jump into to Naruto? Do you think it is more successful? Do you think it is less? Do you think it's building on things that Naruto's done and founding popularity in North America or not? I'm curious. I, yeah, I, I, I like Naruto better, mm. but, but maybe, maybe it's because like, maybe I just need to go further into more volumes with this because clearly they're introducing all these characters and I'm like, Oh, okay. I can see how these characters might end up playing a part uh, down the line. But Naruto felt a bit more kind of straightforward and I felt like there's more emotional impact in that story than there is here. But knowing that these kids don't graduate for another 33 volumes or whatever, I don't really know <laughs> how that how that plays out. I'm sure there's a lot of development They may never come. graduate at this rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that, like, this... he's He spends a lot of the first volume explaining the logic of this world, right? Yeah. Mm. Why things are the way they are, why people are the way they are, he sets a foundation, but I think later on what gets really interesting is like, you know, a simple decision like calling these, you know, other humanly powers quirks and not superpowers is a, is a conscious decision because these are not really, people are not, are not necessarily given superpowers. Some people are given very, very minor extra human abilities. Like Deku's mother can barely move things from one place to another. Right. Yeah, and some people's quirks manifest as them looking different. So it, what he introduces later is this idea that people, like and Deku says this at the beginning, people aren't equal, right? And so he's mm. basically pointing out that not everyone gets the same abilities, and some people get better superhero powers than others. And the haves, you know, they they're like Mountain Lady, right? They can become, they get government pay and fame and glory. But, you know, the people who don't look human anymore, like the mud man or like later on the guy who looks like a lizard, people who have very, you know, strange or not very useful powers, they, they are the have-nots and they turn to crime, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of get like this, he's setting up this dynamic that becomes the crux of the story later, that, mm. you know, that the, that the villains or what are posed as the villains are basically the have-nots. And the kids in the school and the, their hero mentors are the haves. 
And how is that going to play out? I think that plays into what you're saying, obviously, but also what David said earlier. This is very much more of an X-Men analog than an Avengers analog, let's say, despite the fact that as this was coming out, the Avengers and all the Avengers characters that Marvel was producing as movies were the big superheroes, especially in Japan. Like people knew like a little bit of Spider-Man, sure, but it was it was the, you know, the X-Men hadn't had a good movie in 2015 for a few years <laughs> at that point. And it's really interesting that he's pulling the like, you know, the everyone has superpowers mutant sort of analog into this rather than making it like a a, a team that's like very small or very few people are special, you know, in this way. And I think that that's, again, the Generation X comparison for me. That's really, uh, it's really interesting. I, the Naruto's thing was for me is like, he's just a crybaby in the first volume. <laughs> like he's constantly like crying and snots coming out of his nose and like a lot of, you know, tears and stuff like that. And that was like, Naruto, that happened like four times in the first volume. He was drawn extra <laughs> yeah. gross. That happens here. And I thought, I, I, I was like, there's gotta be, that's gotta be on purpose because even even Luffy in the first volume of One Piece only cries the one time and he's like a literal child in that scene. Like when he gets, you know, when I think it's Shanks gives him the hat at the end and he's like, be tough. So that was for me is just like, oh, you're trying to have this character that's like an outsider, you know, less of a class clown like Naruto was, but like more as much of an outsider be sort of brought into the fold. So that was that was the, the comparison for me. David, did you have a thought there? Yeah, I have a couple, but I think I'm going to leave with the curveball. Which is, mm -hmm. it's weird reading this. So I haven't read volume one of My Hero in quite some time. Uh, mm -hmm. Well before the pandemic, probably like since maybe 2016, 2017. And yeah. I was surprised at how square it is in terms of like being all about authority being cool and the government having your back and all this stuff that I don't know if I believe in anymore. After <laughs> yeah. you know, like two and a half years of pandemic and four years of that one guy. It didn't hurt the book, actually. It just made the texture a little bit different. Like, it almost feels maybe like a bla blast from the past in a way, where these mm -hmm. are heroes where, in, in a world where most things are kind of fundamentally good, or at least like lean yeah. that way. And most stories I read now aren't about these kinds of characters in this kind of setting. Mm -hmm. But like Bakugo, I still love. He's still an amazing character in this first volume. He's a great bully. And I love that they kind of they explore this over the course of the series too but in volume one they're like look some heroes are dicks and like that's just their thing like they're not bad guys <laughs> but they might be bullies and there's something really i don't know really fun about like the deku and bakugo relationship as it grows and i just love that like his costume design on the last page sticks around mm -hmm. forever i think deku's mm -hmm. changes quite a bit mochako's yeah. changes up but like bakugo they got it the first time through which is the giant grenade gauntlets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are awesome. And his power is ridiculous. Yeah, the exploding. Having the headband that's an explosion is like a visual that I've loved for, since 2015. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, the nitroglycerin sweat thing. Yeah. That's, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a Marvel character with that power. <laughs> Like, I don't think it's a Daredevil villain, oh. but there's someone who has nitroglycerin sweat, maybe an X-Men character. Like, oh. all the powers are kind of familiar, too. Oh, yeah. Like, they're not out really? of the realm of, not all of them. Like, they feel feasible in terms of, like, suspension of disbelief. Like, no that one's bad too guy with weird. the hands from, from Volume 3, though, is like, that creeped me right out. Like, I had never seen yeah. anything like that. What, what is it? Or there's a guy who guy. has a mask that's basically a fist grasping his face like this, and it's like a severed. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, I love uh, it. Control awesome. little hands. 
Pretty good. And then we find out that all the hands, his dead relatives' hands. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> wow. Actually, that's a good point. So this is a manga for kids, and they get into some pretty gruesome territory. Not necessarily in this volume, but it never mm-hmm. stops feeling like it's like teen appropriate, even when it's doing like horribly traumatic stuff. Because mm-hmm. it yeah. doesn't do women in fridges necessarily, but it, you might see a dead body. But there is yeah. some, you know, like later on, you know, like Todoroki, right? Who's the third, I guess, maybe more favorite character of, of the three. He's the one who has half fire, half ice. Yeah. His father is the number two hero who commands fire. And his mother commands ice. But anyway, it brings up this whole thing about toxic masculinity and yeah. <laughs> family and stuff like that. So it's, mm, I don't know. I mean, I guess I want to ask Chip, though. It's like. You know, I've I've read this all the way through, and I've kept writing it, and, and that's not a given, right? I mean, I could give up on yeah. this series at any time, but I keep on reading because it sucks me in. We only required you to read volume one, mm-hmm. and of course, I know you're a busy guy. You don't have to read more than what you assign you. <laughs> but are you at all curious about the rest of the series, or you no. thought, ah, that's enough? No, I mean, and, and not even like in a like, oh no, I don't want to read this anymore. It's just like, I mean, look, even though this is a different fresher take on superheroes i'm also kind of done with superheroes in terms of my consumption if that makes sense like like i'm not uh, uh, i don't uh, i don't i don't go i don't go to the theaters to see uh, marvel movies (laughs) anymore you know even 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 like you know i i get like the free pdfs of all the marvel books and i'll read maybe two percent of them that come in because i'm just like okay yeah like I'm kind of I'm kind of over it on that level. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy making them. I enjoy reading the ones that like you know my my close friends make. But but they're not they're not a thing that I really consume much anymore. So you know this is this is really well done. But it's also just like well I don't really need to read a story about kids and yeah. superpowers. You know I'd rather read uh, what was it a uh, uh, Tokyo Terrorable Girls or mm. was it even though we're adults? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like that's kind of more my speed right now in terms of consumption. So, so yeah, I mean, but but I will absolutely like recommend this to kind of younger relatives and friends with kids. I think it's I think it's frankly better to recommend this to those kids and most of the Marvel and DC books out there. And yeah, I'll say it on the record. I don't care. <laughs> but I think that makes sense because Marvel DC aren't aiming for that yeah. audience necessarily. They're well, basically like. Marvel DC yeah. is basically seinen manga, frankly. I mean, yeah. 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 It's it's basically by men for men. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's No, in the bad way. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, boo. <laughs> I mean, not that, you know, there isn't some fan service in this. Like, I mean, Mountain Lady, Horikoshi's yeah. an ass man, man. Yeah. <laughs> but like how many how many years has has this uh, series been going? 7. Yeah, seven. seven. Whereas uh, Spider Man's been going for seventy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or actually sixty. Like the, the Spider Man should have ended probably uh, after Romita Senior was done. Died. Yeah, frankly, it 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 ended for me when Gwen Stacy died. <laughs> you know this this couldn't go on for sixty. If this went on for sixty years, and people would have the same problems with this because uh, it would probably end up kind of aging up and become darker and weirder in sixty years time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like yeah. So Marvel and DC, you know, they aim at the the older audience because the audience kind of kept going with the product mm-hmm. instead of you know rebooting it every few years for kids. 
Mm-hmm. Ugh, I could go on. Oh, could I you? Know. <laughs> David, I want to go back to something you said. And it, sorry, no, Deb, I'll come back to you right after. I actually do think that this is pretty pro like authority and hierarchy mm. in a way that is like pretty clear. But as Deb said, the series does go a very different direction. Like all good superhero properties, it does iterate. There's a spin-off, Vigilantes, which mm-hmm. is about the the fundamental unfairness of like keeping people without quirks out of public service and becoming you can't become a superhero unless you have a quirk. So it's these people who become vigilantes, who become superheroes, who become Batman, basically, even though they don't have a quirk. It's very and generous. It sort of looks well, mm. looks at the looks at the other side yeah. of of this universe that they've built. And it's and as someone who's read, you know, 15, 16 volumes, I think I've read about 10. Do you see it trending in a fairer way? And Deb, do you see it trending in a a less what's the word copaganda kind of a way as well? <laughs> or as David put it, square. Yeah, I was trying to square. be nice, but Chris is <laughs> yeah, the heart of the matter. <laughs> but I yeah, think yeah. I say I don't mean that as a bad thing about the book necessarily. I think it's mm. set in a world where that's feasible and I'm the one that's changed. So kind of like how Chip has moved away from superheroes, I've kind of had the same, you know, emotional journey, let's say, because there's a lot of stuff like torture is all over superhero comics and it's super understated and it's really common. And like it bothers me a lot more now than it did when I was a kid. That's sort yeah, of like pushed yeah. me a little yeah. bit towards the margins. Hmm. And I completely forgot how it's going to tie that into this. Oh, it's just like a taste thing, I think. You want different things from different avenues and this happens to hit the spot of like very classic superhero stuff world the world is mostly just and the people you're focusing on if it's not just they're going to make it right and even in vigilantes like those are like to my memory at least two out of the three are fundamentally good characters and the third Mm -hmm. is like questionable but a little edgy maybe yeah like all might is basically like superman who's your dad which is like a very popular (laughs) take on superman yeah Interesting. Deb, you were, yeah. were going to maybe jump in with something as well. I'm curious if you had something. I can enjoy this as sometimes like a, both a, a tribute and a, and a parody of superhero comics. Mm. You know, that one thing I, I enjoy about My Hero Academia is that even though I've read a ton of superhero comics over the years, and, you know, generally speaking, there are general buckets of superpowers, like there's the psychic powers, there's the elemental powers, there's the pure strength powers, there's the science-based powers. Anyway, like that, right? With this guy, he comes up with some hero powers that are just bizarre. Like, Mm. I've never seen this before, and it's just inventive. Like the the hero that has tape that comes out of his elbows. (laughs) 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 All right, I'll keep reading. (laughs) <laughs> and then there's like the character that everyone hates Minetta who is basically like this horny little boy who his power is he has little grape sticky balls as on his head that he can use to throw at people and like use to climb and do things everyone thinks he's a giant perv he's like universally yeah, he's loved, like amongst the creators <laughs> and the fandom which is interesting what really <laughs> he's on the last page he's one of like actually the, the worst drawn character on the last page in the lower left of the crew shot Oh, yeah, yeah. With the little duck face. Okay. Oh, I hate that guy. Yeah. (laughs) You will. I get it. I get it. So it's just kind of like... With his his big underwear? (laughs) (laughs) I forget it. It's... I just appreciate the inventiveness. And sometimes I think to myself, because I I talked to this guy, right, at Comic-Con, and he came when My Hero Academia was super duper duper popular, let's say. Mm -hmm. And like they had it 
they had the panel in the big room, and they I swear they turned away four times the amount of people who wanted to get in there. Wow. Yeah, like, it was crazy. Like they could have done Hall H with this guy. Yeah. And, yeah. And I re- I remember being super mad at Comic-Con for this. Like, <laughs> you guys don't get it, do you? You don't get it. No, they don't. They really is. don't. And and <laughs> you know, they they've never kind of gotten manga and it's fine. Like they always fall back on, well, we had Tezuka and it's like he wanted to come. Like, you know, <laughs> they've gotten some of the biggest biggest Japanese cartoonists of all time and they generally tend to understaff them. But it's, you know, I've also done that job. It's really hard to figure out the logistics for you know, how many people are actually going to show up for this once in a lifetime thing and not just be kicking themselves for the rest of their lives. Horikoshi was one. And even Food Wars, mm. was that was that at AX or was that, that at- That was at uh, AX. Yeah, that like they didn't have enough big enough hall for the Food Wars dude either. They, people got left outside for that one. Naruto, when he was at- New York Comic-Con? At New York Comic-Con. At New York Comic-Con. I know that they like had wristbands and stuff and they still couldn't get everybody inside. So yeah, it's just, I think- I think it's only now that we're really starting to realize how popular these books are and these authors are generationally. It's something that came up and it's just a little factoid I wanted to drop in. But when Deb and I were in France a couple months ago, and we saw a presentation about the best-selling books in France last year. And the number one book in France was Asterix, Asterix by Uderzo. It's just, there's a new Asterix album every single year. And every single year, it's the best-selling book in France. Second best-selling book in France was Naruto Volume 1. Wow. Not volume number whatever, not My Hero Academia, which is also doing well, but it's like, and we found out that every kid in the in in France was given some pandemic money, basically, to spend on the arts. Like it was like a voucher, and it can only be spent in a bookstore or going to see the opera, or whatever. And they, the government thought, oh, they're going to support French arts, and it's like, no, every single kid went to the bookstore and bought as much manga as they could with their like hundred <laughs> bucks, and so manga just was like. The, the sales were up like 250% year over year, and they were already really good. But yeah, the kids who are buying Naruto last year with their money are not the kids who first started reading Naruto when it first came out. There's like, this is a generational series, and My Hero Academia, I think, is going to be in the same space. But it brings me back to Chip's point, is this series going to go forever? Is it just going to keep aging up? It's already homaging let's say superhero comics in real ways that are actually really well done usually i think like the fact that there are variant covers on some volumes like the fact that there are spin-offs oh. and iterative things and like different heroes and all he's done work for north american comics is this a series that's just going to keep going where the characters barely age incrementally what do you think well i mean will it, would the creator want to do something else <laughs> well I, I feel like he's he's leading up to an end and the end is coming soon. Like the at the current chapters, it's they're heading towards this climactic battle with the big, the big cheese, the main mm. villain. And it's getting. Please tell me their name is the big cheese. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to tell you who the villain is because that's a major spoiler. <laughs> the name of, of the major villain is a big spoiler. All right. Yeah. It is getting more violent. The stakes are getting higher, and it. The, the comparison I guess I can make is, you know, like the comparison between when the Beatles first came out and when compared to when the Beatles broke up. Mm. You know, when the Beatles first got together, they sang, you know, cute little songs about love. And then towards the middle, they got LSD. And <laughs> they started doing some really crazy songs. And then towards the end, they were 27, if you can believe this. They wrote very mature, very experimental and interesting, thoughtful songs, right? So I feel like it seems subtle, but when I read volume one and compared to the chapters I'm reading now, there's a progression from this innocence of, oh, these kids going to the superhero school to 
But now the ch- current chapters where they're fighting a really intense battle that has huge implications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just read the latest chapter actually before this started. It's free on the Shonen Jump app. I don't it won't be free by the time this episode goes live, but you know, only the three newest ones are free. But it's just like it's like a like I don't know, twelve page conversation between a dude and another dude that's like just purely psychoanalysis for like twelve pages of like you wanted to do this, but actually you're not a very good person and you did this and you remember <laughs> when this happened and you were a failure? It just like Okay, like it's very much like late period X Men now, like Magneto versus Charles having like <laughs> high, seemingly highfalutin conversations, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Except I'm not sure if anyone is uh, like, I don't know if the the sides are close enough, like where you could always sort of see where Magneto was getting at. <laughs> I don't think that, <laughs> it doesn't read that way. Like one of the people is clearly reads like a bad guy, but yeah. Whew, what else is there to say? Actually, I'm curious about the anime on this because I actually saw the first animated movie because it was. I don't really like watching anime of manga I've already read. I feel like the differences don't usually hold up. But I went and saw the first anime movie in Japan in Japanese, which ties into next week's podcast, which I think is the book we're reading all in Japanese. And I could follow it, no problem. Like it was the clearest thing in the world, not being like with just the most basic Japanese understanding, I could follow this movie, no problem. But mm-hmm. I liked I liked that movie. I thought I had a nice time. I'm curious as to whether or not you guys, especially Chip, have seen the anime and how it compares, do you think, to the manga? Because I think that people tend to choose one or the other when they're participating in the series, when they're reading it or they're following the plot or whatever, and not both. And I'm curious if, if you guys have thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I've watched all the anime. I love it. Weird. Better than the manga, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've always been an anime guy. <laughs> I have a controversial take on anime and manga that is actually proved true pretty much every time. I I like. 2D drawings more than animation. Like whenever there's an adaptation of a manga that I like, like the anime is fine. It's good. Like my hero, I watched a couple seasons of, I think, and it was good, but like, it's not the manga. It's not the comic version. And the comic's always more exciting for me. I think. How do you feel about attack on Titan? This is a, (laughs) but because attack on Titan seems much better than the, that's the exception that proves the rule because the first episode of attack on Titan is better than the first volume of the manga, like by leaps and bounds. It is astounding. Nice. And I think you can see it in how the sales of the manga blew up after the anime started coming out. Oh, like attack on Titan absolutely. was such a moment. And you know, there's a lot to say about the show. It's a, it's a mess from a variety of angles, but they, the animators for that one understood what was really good about the book that the book hadn't actually grown into yet. I think it hit a stride yeah. much later much much later mm-hmm. but yeah i'm a i'm a comics guy and this has been a interesting discovery over the past few years of like little bits where i'm like oh i should like this but i don't like the marvel movies like chip yeah like i don't care no, if they're no, not chip, drawn chip likes the marvel movies let's i mean just, i like uh, it when i see them like he watches every yeah, yeah. single one of them he's just not rushing to theater <laughs> to see them anymore like i see like them on the friends, plane generally yeah 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 and like they're fine but they're never like the comic version you know, like there's something special watch about them. like the drawings. I, I, I don't even watch them on planes. I watch them on other people's screens on planes while I'm watching something else on my screen because that's how much energy I feel that they deserve. So, oh, wow. Can I, can I talk about the art in my I, hero a little bit? Yeah, let's, let's, let's get back to this book. <laughs> I mean, this is maybe chapter 47, 48. There was this bit with lettering that I liked a lot where they show how fast this old man character is by like lettering his speech away from where he's actually like standing. Oh, that's was, like, cool. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, actually yeah. Really good. Yeah. That's awesome. 
And it was such like a little clever bit and so small, you know, like I don't, no one really thinks to do stuff like that, but it's such a good vibe. And you could do this scene in animation and it would have a very cool look, like a very fast motion, but there's nothing like good drawings. Like that's just what it comes down to for me. It's fine. There's a good lettering thing in, in this volume as well on page 75. I forget which character's talking, but like the, the, the border it just says mutter, 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 mutter around the whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, indi- to indicate that they're muttering. Because yeah. that could... I'm just like, oh, that's smart. That's fun. Absolutely. And the localization team wouldn't... on this, and I've worked with all these people in the last like three months. Caleb Cook translated and did the adaptation. John Hunt did the retouch and lettering. Like Great work from them, I think. They put a lot of work into making this like read really smoothly and fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna ask about, like, there's, there's one mention. I think it was, it's like right at the end when All Might comes into the room, and oh, I love that. It's a, it's a great joke. I just gotta get to the page where he goes. I have come through the door like normal, and it's a perfect, <laughs> a perfect, yeah, <laughs> comedy bit. But the, the, the kids are talking, and someone's like. That's a Silver Age costume, and I'm like, is that a joke? That like that must have been like a localized thing. Like, did, is Silver Age, Golden Age? Is that something that might known? be localized a little bit? But out of all the yeah. manga we read, this is the one that's most likely to have that kind of those kinds of gags. I think because they do yeah. talk and about the different says, phases of All Might. He's drawn so differently than the rest of us. Gives me goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's self-referential, like, and it comes in yeah. that's incorporated costumes in the sort of an attached word balloon, so it could go either way. But yeah. I do, like, I honestly believe that he's like in this American superhero mold, and everyone's kind of aware of it. Like, I don't know. I, I think we'll probably find out more about that later on in the series, like what's, how the quirk started and things like that. What's weird is it's it looks like an American superhero mold, but it's not one. Like, it's actually mm-hmm. new. You know, like Chip was saying, he's yeah. like he's doing these like techniques that are reminiscent of a time. And I think mm-hmm. Adam Warren used to like go around like comic conventions saying, like, hey, who do you think this is drawn like trying to, you know, get other artists to see like what he was doing? But I think he's just drawn different to stand apart and feel Western, but he's he doesn't feel that way to me. You know, in terms of his methodology. Mm-hmm. I, don't I don't know. know. I'm not trying to pull rank because it always sounds like I am when I yeah. say things like that. But like this dude is drawn exactly like like how japan depicts superheroes in like especially advertising i would agree with art. that yeah mm. yeah but he doesn't feel like, like a marvel dc reference to me the way other characters might sure yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll totally i'll totally buy that but i also think it's like in exactly the same way that when american artists have done fan art for this series and there's been a bunch and we'll put it in the yeah. show notes it all looks wrong like it all looks <laughs> way wrong and it's just like you haven't captured the inherent manganess of the characters you're <laughs> describing, like you're, you're describing with your brush, like it looks wrong. And yeah, everyone draws things in their own style and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, there's something about this that you aren't getting that someone like Adam Warren actually might get if he was to do a pinup for this. I have no idea yeah. if he has, but I don't want to, and I don't want to call anyone out. I think, you know, the, the art can be nice, but there's just something about context, cultural context and the way that work is done. And you just see it now. Like you see it in this like the newest generation of cartoonists who are coming up who've been reading manga their whole lives and who've been reading French comics in different ways their whole lives and who've been reading superheroes and indie comics and stuff. It's like why when it's like Brian when he broke out 
Brian O'Malley broke out with Scott Pilgrim. And it's just like, yeah, that dude grew up reading manga and he was one of the first dudes who was not an outlier, who was like a generational, I grew up reading manga, I put manga into my work and his work like took off. And it only got stronger, obviously, over the course of six volumes of, of Scott Pilgrim. I mm-hmm. think it's like there is a context to being raised with that work. And this is like a first generation dude who's all always been reading American superhero comics. Like who's always been able to read them in translation, whose work changed a lot because of American superhero comics. And you kind of see it between his early, like Barrage even and, and this. Yeah. And I think that that's fascinating. I, I, I bet you if Derek was here, he'd have someone else to say it too. <laughs> it's like one of his favorite series, uh, Halliday, who frequently comments on our Twitters. Hi, Derek, yeah. if you're listening. Do you think that he's saying anything or do you think All Might's design is commentary? Or is it just like, this is what Horikoshi does? I think it absolutely is commentary. And I... I, the problem is I don't know what he's trying to say because mm. I've only read the first 10 volumes and honestly I read it when it was coming out like I was reading the volumes as they were coming out and it's just you know at a, at a certain point this isn't the, this isn't a comic for me I'm 40 <laughs> so I did eventually trail off like I haven't with other stuff but I do think with the way he so the all might is hurt at one point and he can only stay in his all might form for three hours which is like such a marvel thing like I've got all the power in mm. the world but I've got this artificial extra limitation that makes me a true hero because i have to fight against my things it's not a dc thing you know what i mean yeah it's ultraman too and ultraman yeah even common uh no no common writer can just stay common writer i guess but yeah i think he's trying to say something about heroes and heroism that's filtered through his experiences as, as like a japanese dude who grew up with this as like an outsider kind of a thing in the same way that tezuka was trying to say something about animation having grown up you know, just devouring Disney stuff that was available to him during the war. And there's lots of stuff out there that talks about that. It's, I would love for someone to be able to get a real interview with him, not one that's filtered through the Shonen Jump editorial office or through Shueisha to see what he really thinks. But I don't think he could even spare an hour like like poor Chip. I don't know that he could spare the hour (laughs) to be on the podcast to talk to us about, you know, what he wants to say about American superhero comics through doing this series and through all might and some of the other american heroes that pop up later in particular so well, let's try think, to get them but that's yeah yeah it's all right why not let's let's, let's reach out why not like i mean look look i mean like i'm a superhero co- i'm writing batman i don't know if i mentioned that at the beginning <laughs> of this you you may have yeah and obviously everyone here is a manga expert Mm-hmm. David sure. works for Viz. <laughs> I, these are all good calling cards to we're positioned bring this well. guy on. Yeah, we're positioned well. I think those are the best interviews, rather than someone like me interviewing an artist, but two artists talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen those in the Japanese magazines, and I think, like I don't know, like Ichiro Oda talking with Takehiko Ino. I think those are super interesting conversations. Yeah, yeah. that we we don't have. The last time they did that conversation, I think, was the one when Inoue was like, if you publish your work in Jump, make sure you keep all the rights because don't let them get rich before you get rich or something to that effect. Ooh, snap. Because yeah. <laughs> he, he blew up in Shonen Jump at Slam Dunk and now he publishes his own work like on his own schedule at his own time. Yeah. It's amazing. It's Inoue aspirational. famously one of the guys that bit of manga history. So there's a magazine called Raijin that launched at the same time as Shonen Jump. And it was full of manga from Shonen Jump dudes who made it big in the 80s and pulled their rights back because they felt that they were being untreated unfairly. It was a little bit like Image Comics. So mm-hmm. it was Inoue and Slam Dunk actually debuted in North America from a completely different publisher, now defunct, as well as Fist of the North Star, which was a jump title, yep. City Hunter. And I can't remember. Sam Humphreys worked on that launch. Yeah, Sam Humphreys mm-hmm. was like, yeah. like 
working at that company and did all the marketing for the launch. And yeah, there were problems like trying to do a weekly magazine in North America. Like you can't, Diamond can't ship stuff weekly, <laughs> even if they have it a month in advance. So yeah, it folded, but he did go back to jump and he went back, you know, on his own terms. And I think that that's really important for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I put that in the show notes before, but yeah, the, there's a lot of immediate North American manga history that's kind of lost. That's really interesting. I would love to talk to this guy kind of artist to artist and find out why he's using a brush for cross hatching on all my <laughs> <laughs> I think here, let's take a quick break and we're gonna look at I'm gonna show Chip the the most recent chapter of My Hero Academia because the artwork okay, is yeah. literally eight years better. And then it's sixteen pages and we're gonna come back after and talk about just like the artwork on the most recent chapter. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. And we're back. And for the first time ever, we took a quick mid-podcast break (laughs) to come back to the same book. We read My Hero Academia chapter 355, which is actually one week old at this point, because it's sort of a better chapter to jump into as a rather than being sort of in media res conversation. What'd you think? Art-wise, storytelling-wise, Chip? Oh, it's so much better than volume one. It's gorgeous. It's it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, better better page design. It's wild. Better rendering techniques, better posing, better gesture. I mean, the gesture in, in volume one is, is is pretty good, but yeah, it's a whole other level with that chapter you just showed me. Yeah. Your comment, like, why is he doing all this cross-hatching with a brush? And it's like, yeah, that is, why is he doing that? Because that's not what it looks like in my head. And the answer is, oh, he learned not to do that, actually, at some <laughs> point along the way. And I think that that's... And it's probably even by the second or third volume, because I think, like I said, the I said right at the beginning, the art tightens up because of the anime, because, you know, obviously if you do 200 pages in two months or whatever, because that's what you've got to do for Shonen Jump, you just get better real fast or you yeah. don't. And they cancel your book. But yeah, this this chapter 355 has like breathtaking artwork. Like some of these pages are are incredibly, incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I mean, the, the cross hatching is only on All Might with the brush. Like that's that's a stylistic choice that was made in in that volume, and and he I'm assuming because I didn't see All Might in this chapter that you showed me, so I don't know if the rendering of that character changes at all uh, throughout this. Yeah, not really, I don't think not it's really. He's still no. got the same like random shadowing. Yeah, you see him less in that super guise, that super mm-hmm. pose. He's more in yeah. the the human version. John and Homosotomy. Sorry, uh, Chad Skellington. (laughs) Yeah, Chad Skellington. (laughs) So yeah, I think that this is something that's like we all we we read a lot of manga where we're like, oh, the first chapter doesn't quite hold up to like, or the first volume doesn't hold up. I think this first volume is is really solid. But Mm -hmm. man, looking at these most recent chapters, it's like next level. Mm. He's got the budget for the good assistance now. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and that's not to take anything away from what he's doing as a mangaka, but like, oh, it looks good. It looks good. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, the fight, the fight that you're in the middle of right now has gone on for several chapters. Yeah, love it. But it's exciting. And, you know, it's, uh, that's one reason why I don't read My Hero Academia every week, because you finish those couple of pages and go, oh, now what? Then <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm, just, I'm still looking at it. It's great. We'll put a couple of screenshots in the, uh, I have a Shonen Jump subscription so I can go back, even though it won't be free. And take some screenshots <laughs> for the show notes. Can you see this winter gear that he designed for the characters too? Oh, the mm. lesion. Oh, yeah. Good. 
yeah, I think a big great. asset to the series is the overall sense of design. Like the superhero comics or superhero costumes rather feel very superhero-y, but all the clothes feel believable. I think it's what makes a big, I don't know, it hooks me a little bit. Even from the beginning, right? He makes all these little side things, these little extra pages like, oh, this is the character yeah. in their street clothes. And little yeah, little things about who this character is and what they like and what they don't like and maybe maybe their blood type. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> These little extras in between the chapters are really kind of nice. They add color and depth to the to the story. I don't think you see that in the normal serialization online. These no, there are little- bonuses for the graphic novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I like I like seeing that kind of stuff at the end. I don't necessarily like seeing them in between chapters because it actually takes me out of the story. Because as I'm reading, I'm just like, I'm investing a character and all of a sudden there's a, a break. It'd be like watching a little, like an episode of Law and & Order and then just before the commercial break, like one of the actors just kind of turns and goes, I play the character kind of like this because of this and the blah, 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 blah. It's like, I, I love that info, but at the end of the episode, after the credits, like I, I'd be interested in that. But like, I, it, no, it's hard don't. for me to come back from commercial. Pure lie. Uh, Pure when, lie. When, you hate the bonus material. What? You, you, you hate the bonus material at the back of these books. You have frequently talked about how you don't want to read it and don't like it. There, there have been ones that I did like. Like, you know, I talked about Tokyo Terrariba Girls. Like, I, I quite liked them until they got a little too long and a, a bit too much into the, you know, the, the feedback loop of it all. But yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's backup material that I, I do enjoy. And, and I, I did read these. Like, like I thought they were, they were cute and they weren't like too much. Like it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, this is interesting. But also it just, it just takes me out of it when it's not at the end, the way it should be the way God intended. (laughs) Like how HBO does with all their TV shows. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm shocked you actually read it. There's a ton that he packs in here. Like there's that, the little diagram of, like with the shadows of Super Mario explaining how the <laughs> exam works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some really neat stuff in the art. Yeah. Aside from the style. Like I think he's doing some interesting stuff with like, none of it felt underdrawn to me. Like especially the first chapter where they're in the city and you really see the city or the narrow alleyway that, you know, Mount Lady can't get down and that kind of stuff. I thought that that was really interesting dropping backgrounds out just for focus, not just because the pages are due, but then it's your debut chapter. So I guess you have a little bit more time to put into it. Can I say how much I enjoyed how he drew the mud person in this first chapter? Yeah, that looked good. They were like very clay face styles. I thought that was great. And then that scene where the mud person overcomes Hachan. That's scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Some real, some real good body horror there. I like how he develops these characters over time, you know, kind of like One Piece, right? Where they have a personality and they stay true to that personality no matter what happens to them. They they mature, mm-hmm. grow and mature over time. But Ida is always a stand-up guy, mm. you know, a little stiff, a little proper. But even when he has these crises of conscience, he's still inherently that guy. And when mm-hmm. he does have that crisis of conscience, you feel, you feel how really how really horrible how really difficult it is for him so i like how he develops these characters even the ones that seemingly seem like side characters mm-hmm. and then has his core belief in who these people are at their heart and then puts them through situations and have them react in ways that may surprise you sometimes but are always true to who they are inherently mm-hmm. that's what, what these people like these characters you know i mean it makes you feel for them 
Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's a good segue into my final thoughts on the book, which was this book just has a lot of heart. Like it has a lot of like guts and heart and emotion. It feels very Shonen jump to me, more so than even the Shonen Sunday book we read a couple weeks ago. Right down to, we were just talking about chapter 355, and there's just like a full page drawing that's like, my problem with you as one of the heroes is fighting. My problem is that you're the one who made my pals cry and then like fires his energy weapon off at them. And I'm like, <laughs> if that doesn't say Shonen Jump, literally nothing does. That's <laughs> fantastic. You, you hurt my friends. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, it's my final thought. Anyone want to jump in with their final thought on My Hero Academia? If anyone hurt any of you, I would do exactly <laughs> the same thing. Oh, A lot of nice. yelling. A lot of yeah. yelling. <laughs> <laughs> my final thought is there's a character that is invisible in My Hero Academia. I don't think she's in the first volume. How can you tell? Commit to the bit. Like exactly. They my- keep her invisible the entire time. You only see like the the school uniform or bikini or costume, whatever she's wearing. And it's such a good bit. She's in chapter five at some point. It's so dumb, but the <laughs> like consistency of it makes it really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I love what it's <laughs> I should know this. I worked on a My Hero book. Uh, Toru Hagakure. She's stealth hero, invisible girl, which might get them sued. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, your final thoughts on Boku no Hero Academia? I guess I'm maybe not surprised that this this became the next big Shonen Jump hit. I remember there was a period of time when Bleach was going to end, Naruto was going to end, and there was like, oh my God, what's going to happen when the big three, you know, if they if they end, it's like Shonen Jump going to, you know, fail. It's, what's going to happen to them? And I think what's really nice about that is, even though there's a lot of balls like, that gets thrown out of the kitchen machine and not everyone's a hit the batting average of shonen jump is pretty good yeah Yeah. and i'll give them that like one of the things that surprised me when i read this again was that first page where it's the commentary from him this one might not remain popular but for now i'll just be happy if everyone finds it as fun as i do this is a statement of a man whose first two series got canceled prematurely and he's (laughs) not not at all aware that what he's doing now is going to be one of the biggest selling manga in the world. Did they update that quote when it became like the biggest thing in the world? <laughs> no, it's no. forever. <laughs> it's forever. Uh, only one. That's so funny. Maybe they'll do a special edition one day with an interview at the back where it's just like, well, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I want to add is that one thing that's always impressed me about My Hero Academia is that the girls are not just set decorations. Mm. Oh, yeah. They have an important role to play. They're not just support staff. They they drive the story forward. They have very distinct, different personalities. And it makes it a fun read for both, you know, boys and girls, men and women. Yeah. It's, it's something that I never feel talked down to when I read or, you know, like, ugh, power girl in her boob window, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It was my spicy take earlier was going to be like the biggest difference between Naruto and My Hero Academia is he learned you can't just have a Sakura sitting there doing nothing for an entire series. You've got to have like active woman characters. Yeah. And you don't get 
a ton of that in the first volume. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't, I don't have a lot of indication of that in volume one here. Like, in volume one, like, the big girl moment is the fact that a girl talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of disagree, because Ochaku actually goes and stands up for Deku in the, and says, yeah. oh, you know, actually, he saved me, and he, he gave up his points, so please give him mine. And, yeah. like, she, she's also trying to do the right thing and get into the school. And then, surprisingly, one of the more popular characters, one of the Dark Horse popular characters of My Hero Academia in the first couple arcs is Deku's mom. Yeah, people love Deku's mom. <laughs> people love Deku's mom because she's so sweet and so yeah. supportive and was willing to do anything for him. Yeah, the girl, you know, talking about like giving up her points, like that was a very kind of like a nice girl moment. But I prefer the girls to kick characters in the stomach. Like that's just my thing. <laughs> You're going to get that later if you keep reading this, by the way. Yeah, don't worry. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This has been an episode of Monk Explaining about My Hero Academia. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to David for shaking his head every time I said Boku no Hero Academia in like pure disgust. I've been perfect. making a mark on a list as well. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it one more time and he crossed out the marks. We'll see if I'm yeah. back after the break. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Manga Must Reads, brought to you by Comixology. With Comixology Unlimited, you get access to over 6,000 volumes of manga, including new, classic, and undiscovered gems that you can read online anytime, including the manga that we'll be discussing today. And that manga is a actually a personal favorite of mine since childhood. I first discovered it through anime. It is Battle Angel Alita. It was created by Yukito Kishiro in 1990. It ran until about 1995. And it was one of the kind of early anime that sort of hit in the U.S. in the 90s and established a base taste line for me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's the story of a young cyborg girl who ends up completely losing her memories. She ends up with a new, like, super powerful robot body, and she becomes a bounty hunter, for lack of a better word, using special Martian fighting techniques and incredibly powerful cyborg limbs and guns and things like that. It's a great action manga. I am personally pretty fond of it, so I'm going to hold what I have to say about it until after I ask Christopher, what did you think of Battle Angel Alita? I feel like I want to hold it responsible for all of the sins of the things that imitated it afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fair to it. It's not fair to even to the things that came afterwards that are like, 
there's so much i remember reading this back in the day and i watched i discovered it through the anime like you this is one of the yeah great fan subbed anime that entered my life as a young person before i you know had money and could buy things legally and so i saw battle angel alita and i don't like it didn't seem to make a lot of sense and it kind of ends in a way where you're like but when are we going to get to the city and see what's going on <laughs> you kind of don't and so i read some of the issues of the manga out of order because that's just how things were back in the day there weren't a lot of trade paperbacks and they weren't very accessible particularly in canada because they were so expensive they were like 24 dollars or something 26 dollars. anyway mm -hmm. long story short wow you can really see how much this has been ripped off in american comics especially <laughs> of the 90s like it is wild how much this has been ripped off and how much it has informed uh let's say in a generous way so much of like the big hot popular comics of the 90s it is it is like everybody at image had two copies of every <laughs> issue of <laughs> some of them had three and it's kind of it's just a wild look back and like so many, so much stuff there. So yeah, it is maybe a foundational manga text. Maybe we should have read it much earlier than this because man, does it influence stuff that comes after both in North America and in Japan. And I want to talk about that, but first let's get someone else's take on good old Battle Angel Alita. Yeah, let's do a manga explaining expert sandwich here. We'll go to Chip next and then we'll... <laughs> mm, a nice manga novice center yeah uh, it's 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 gorgeous it's really really beautiful i don't know i didn't expect it to be as pretty as it is mostly based on the cover because the cover is just like not that good and very 80s in both design presentation and drawing but the inside is just i could see that it was like kind of revolutionary when it came out and I could see how it influenced a certain David Brothers yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in his comic taste. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot to love here. It's violent and fun and has kind of a weird, like, the the one character, Ito, is that his name? Yeah. He he's, feels like he's from, like, Asterix or something. He, he feels like a weird kind of European <laughs> comics character. And I love him because he's like, oh, he's like a scientist and he's so curious, but also he hunts people and he's got a rocket anvil hammer. <laughs> like It's just all so many ludicrous rings just smashed together. There's, yeah. there's one page, which maybe this shouldn't be one of my favorite pages, but well, first I'll say what my favorite drawings, just to seem uh, artsy, is the drawing of the sculpture that is the sphere with the man's legs. It's so mm. lovely. It's such a beautifully drawn page. And I contrast that with the page where there's the woman in the alley going, hey, what's up with you? And then her head gets blown off. And it's so extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I almost gasped when I flipped the page and I saw that because it's also just like it's hilarious and I shouldn't laugh that much at a woman's head being blown off because that might be the end of me really but it's mm -hmm. it's it's so well done and so funny that the the sins of this book just are forgiven <laughs> sounds good <laughs> and Deb how about you did you find this in the 90s like Christopher and I no, actually, this is one of my one of my guilty secrets. Ooh. Is that this is the first time I'm reading this? That's exciting. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> well, I immediately went to the back and said, like, I looked at the copyright and it said 2014. I said, "There's no way this was published in 2014." 
And so I looked at I looked it up again. And I was like, oh, okay. It was published in 1990 originally mm-hmm. in Shueisha, and then it moved to Kodansha, which is why the copyright says 2014 for Kodansha. Yeah, and it's one of those books that everyone talks about as being this foundational action pack. You know, the cyborg girl. You know, like. She, Kicks ass and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. But she's so cute and like innocent, and but yet very determined. And so she has this really interesting personality. And then there's a the doctor who, like, you know, takes her from just being a head and gives her body parts, kind of like a Doctor Frankenstein kind of thing. It's super kinetic and action packed, almost to the point where sometimes I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's like, like this thing's coming at the end, and then this flies around and then oh, then and you know the bombastic villains you know mm-hmm. that's pretty hilarious there's like weird little moments of humor like when she shakes herself dry like a dog that's one of my like, favorite drawings by the way <laughs> yeah. just yeah. in general not even so just good. in this book <laughs> and then these moments where like she kind of says these badass i'm the girl i'm cute but i'm i'm gonna tell you what what's up you know, mm-hmm. kind of like that, you know, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, kind of attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> On board. It's kind of fun, right? Or she's like, your only opponent is me. And, yeah. you know, I, I guarantee, like Chris was saying, I guarantee you, some image comic somewhere filched that line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. I probably yep. stole it for that matter. <laughs> it's good stuff, you know? And then like, oh, yeah. like, you know, she gets this chance to have this berserker cyborg body and it's like whoa we i couldn't give it this body because it was this berserker thing and then but then it conveniently has these controls that can make it a, a female body yeah <laughs> yeah you go sane in manga yeah that was wild <laughs> i also kind of appreciated you know the, the little aside like instead of putting all these notations in the back like mm-hmm. you know here's the nichi reference explained in two lines in tiny text in the version yeah thank yeah, you it was fun that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, it was good to read it for the first time. Now I kind of get what people are talking about. I do mm-hmm. want to read the rest of it because there's so much more to it. Have you watched the, the movie, the Robert Rodriguez movie? Because I have. Yeah. The hair shaking scene was not in the movie, which really disappointed me, but it was overall pretty okay. <laughs> like it was a solid, like, not B movie, but like B to B plus level. Mm-hmm. Like fun to watch on a weekend, I think. Yeah. Mm. And I think part of the reason okay. why is that it used a lot of the book almost directly. Like it mixed things up a lot, but like in terms of the action scenes, you know, a lot of things still play out in similar ways, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. There's like two scenes in this that I feel are exemplars of the kind of action that Kishiro's doing in this. One is the rocket powered hammer scene on page 66. Yeah, that was because there's a moment in the yep. speed line of the hammer where like you can see it wobbling. And that's such a genius storytelling move. Like he's yeah. barely got control of this thing. And then there was one later when Alita is fighting all the people in the bar and eventually kicks them out in a rolled up ball. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, <laughs> so this good. is super violent and also slapstick. Like it can, you can have uh-huh. both, you know? <laughs> and it makes yeah, it yeah. for a really enticing <laughs> blend. Like it's not too grim, not too like overbearing. Christopher, how did it compare with your feelings from with your memories from the 90s? Like still as exciting, it's yeah. You know, it's it's the most exciting comic we've read in a long time. Like it is just nothing but excitement. Actually, like there, and it doesn't get fatiguing because he keeps sw- like switching it up and introducing more ridiculous things. Like I just got to the point where like, oh yeah, I guess he does have a giant boar's head on his belt 
And then he just turns and addresses the boar's head on his belt, which is like alive somehow. And it's like, boar head, analyze her capabilities. And the boar's like, <laughs> like, and starts like telling like how to attack this, la- this, this lady. And then he's angry because it doesn't work. And so he crushes it. It's like you introduced like a living creature to murder it. Like for kind of a joke, three pages. Li- like it's just pure, pure, pure action, like all the way through. It has that Shiro thing. Mazumune Shiro is another creator we haven't covered on the podcast officially yet, but it's like pseudoscientific explanations for things that are happening in the fight scenes. Like, oh, actually, I'm creating a plasma arc and using maglev to like create it into a floating thing that doesn't hurt me but hurts you. Like, like all that kind of stuff with all this like, you know, real life like notes at the bottom and stuff is such a Shiro like apple seed, ghost in the shell sort yeah. of a thing. And I didn't remember that part of this, that this was like a huge part of it, but it is like it really is. And that was kind of exciting as well, actually, because to, to, it does it is kind of a blast from the past a little bit in that way, because you don't really see comics like this a lot. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, it was it's it's kind of like the missing piece between like the work that Otomo did on Akira that was sort of like the earlier and mid 80s stuff. And then sort of that really flows naturally into this and the work of Shiro. And then you could see sort of the things that have come after that as well that were influenced by this. It's kind of wild because it, it it, it is this kind of foundational text and I don't, I don't like all of it actually (laughs) really impressed by it, especially (laughs) the drawings, but I think it is absolutely worth reading for sure. Things that are really like, the characters are changing size, especially in that last battle. The bad guy just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, sure, like emotionally, that's a really interesting like action thing to do is to make this guy huge. But as soon as you think about it for a moment, it's like, yeah, she was up to his waist 20 pages earlier. And now she's like barely coming up to his knees. Like, what is going on in this? So, yeah, yeah there's 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 stuff there for sure. And Dead, did you have a favorite drawing? Something that really stood out to you? Oh, what did was the one I I think it was that I did screen cap that one drawing that Christopher talking about with the hammer swinging. Yeah. Like I thought that was really well done. Awesome. I don't know. There was it wasn't like I loved it, but there was that scene where like she's the, the guy's head gets squeezed and his eyeball pops out. Mm-hmm. Like that was like <laughs> okay. We're doing this, yeah. We're doing this. <laughs> How about you, David? I, it's the dog shaking scene. Like it's such a ludicrous thing to put into a book, like having your main character shake like a dog to dry off and then being like, this is totally fine and normal and it works, you know, (laughs) like it's so funny after a book full of mostly, you know, impeccable violence, but Chip to bring us home. What was the most surprising to you? Like you mentioned that it was kind of old looking, but then really well drawn inside, but what kind of story development or art development blew you away? I think mostly just the villain and, you know, Chris talking about how uh, proportionally massive he just got by the end. Like he's such a specific style of drawing that I was really, really impressed with. And it was like, it was like a combination of like Trad Moore and Simon Bisley. Like just like, you could just tell that the artist was like, I want to create the most ludicrous, most violent looking, badass, monstrous villain of all time. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be a thing that anyone could reproduce in any other drawing. I just have yeah. to love it. And it's so extreme that it, 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 it 
it really won me over. Awesome. Yeah, the scene oh my where God, he's... Cameron Hodge. Cameron Hodge from the Genosha arc. That's what this <laughs> this guy reminds me of. Because he's just a head with like a weird mechanical neck. <laughs> oh, that... And that like gets plugged into other bigger robots. I and never made that connection. Like, yeah. Wow. That's, wow. That's where they got Cameron Hodge from the Genosha arc. It's from this character. No, Genosha came after or before this. <laughs> Genosha was mid-80s. Yeah. Mutant Massacre. No, Extinction Did Agenda. It? We'll we'll do it in the show notes. We'll, we'll yeah. do it in the this notes, argument. No, this is this Whoa. is this is this is Genosha. Come on, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Battle Angelita by Yukito Kishiro is published by Kodansha and is now available on Comicsology Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com/slash/Comicsologyunlimited to check out a free preview. If you're new to Comicsology Unlimited, get a 30-day free trial when you sign up today. And we are back. We hope you enjoyed the bonus review that was hopefully just before I'm talking so that we can all afford <laughs> rent. <laughs> We're going to go straight into shout outs this week. Call it an end of an episode. Who has a shout out? Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Mine's easy. I am once again on a tape delay from all of my friends, and I just started the third season of Barry on HBO, which Ooh. is fantastic. <laughs> my only complaint is there's a bit where he looks very desperate and he says like i need to have a purpose and a few weeks ago maybe a couple months ago at this point i sent a newsletter to some friends family whoever it is that reads newsletters where i was like part of something i learned about myself is i need a mission and i did not like feeling represented in that moment <laughs> and strange it makes me wonder where this series is going to go but no it's great bill Hader's amazing the writing is wild this time, and I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of tragic circumstances he's going to fall into. Well, spoiler for you, uh, mm. Barry gets into a Boku no Hero Academia. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> did not, oh did my. Not that Who else? Deb, Chip, do you have shout outs? My pick is a webtoon. <laughs> it's called A Man's Man by Dogato. It's on webtoon. And it's something that made me think of David a little bit in that right. it's, it's kind of like Kosakushima, except with a, a time travel element to it. Basically, mm -hmm. it's about a CEO at a, a Korean electronics company who's just became CEO. But when he, he reaches this momentous stage of his career, nobody's there to celebrate with him. So then he goes to this bar, drinks this drink, and the next thing he knows, he's back 20 years before when he's brand new at the company. And what's interesting hmm. is the company is kind of like Samsung. Okay. <laughs> and this is in 2007. Flip phones are still happening. Oh, I heard about this. His company is at the crux of deciding whether to pursue PDAs or like BlackBerry type phones. or But just before the Apple phone comes and turns everything upside down. I like it because it's a, one, it's a time travel story. And that he's given an opportunity to right the wrongs that he did on his on his prior journey up the corporate ladder. There's a lot of tech history in here. There's a bunch of there's what's also kind of nice to it is that he recognizes the contributions of the women that he worked with as well as the women in his family and that he tries to do right by them this time. It's hmm. really it's nice. There's also a boxing element in it. Ah, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. That's something I would read. <laughs> that's the other part I thought you would love. Because like in his new life as a 20-year-old, he, he joins a boxing gym. Mm -hmm. And some of the strategy that he gets from being a boxer is stuff that he uses 
as he tries to strategize against the enemies at his company. <laughs> One of those. Okay. It's great. It. I really <laughs> like it. I mean, this is like, you know, what a webtoon, right? You can read like up to X many chapters, maybe 40, 50 chapters. And then it gets to the point where it says, by the way, the next 10 chapters, you got to pay for them. One at a time. <laughs> How they get you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They got me. They got me good. <laughs> but I'll send you a link to it because I think you'll really like it. Yeah, thank Well, you. you could send us all the link and we could put it in the show notes. Oh, indeed. No. I could do that. <laughs> Only me. <laughs> <laughs> Only Deb and David for Google the Google and everybody else. <laughs> I kind of wanted to read it, but okay, I guess I'll wait. <laughs> Chip, did you have a shout out this week? You're in the woods again. How's that going? Well, I mean, based on my internet lag, it's going great. I got woods internet. Uh, I guess I'll, you know what, I'll shout out a thing that is self-serving. Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang fame has a podcast called Scott Hasn't Seen, where him and guests watch movies that are like blind spots to him in his uh, cultural knowledge. Oh, nice. I'm on his latest one that comes out July 6th, so I don't know when this lands, but in which we uh, watch uh, a Morbius Wow. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Internet's loving that movie. That, I, I hear the internet loved it so much they re-released it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a really great time. And I think I shouted out our podcast on it. I can't recall. Awesome. But yeah, yeah, check it out. Well, since you're self-promoting, it gives me the perfect excuse to say that you should go read Manga Explaining Extra. This week, we actually just finished Okinawa, which was our first manga serialization. So I'm really, actually really proud of it. Jocelyn Allen translated it. Patrick Crotty lettered it. My husband, Andrew, edited it. And it's obviously by Susan Mujiga. And did, yeah, the 14th chapter. And it's about kind of everything that the series, that the, that the manga has been about and about the fu- past and future of Okinawa. It's really, it's really good. And right at the same time that we put up the last chapter, Deb also did what I think is the first English language interview with Akane Torikai, the mangaka who did Sensei's Pious Lie, which we've recommended here on the podcast a couple times in these, this, these very shout outs. And that interview is good. It is it is rough, actually. And now it's just like, <laughs> I was showing to people and they were like, oh man, now I want to read everything she's ever done. This is fascinating. So yeah, that, that's pretty cool too. We're doing some good stuff over there. Go check it out. A lot of it's, a lot of it's even free. Not all of it though. Please subscribe. <laughs> Extra.com. And that is the shout outs for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for all the bonus stuff. And yeah, we'll see you again next week for the next book. Take care. This has been Manga Explaining, episode number 70, My Hero Academia by Kohei Horikoshi. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Moonlight Mile by Yasuo Otagaki. It's a digital, free, Japanese-only manga, so head to mangasplaining.com for the links to check it out. But even though we're digital-only next week, please still consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop anyway. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com, or check out your local library for print and digital ending options, on most of the titles we cover. Like we said, Mangasplaining.com is full of great info, including our reading list and extensive show notes. And hey, why not check out the newsletter and digital publishing endeavor, Mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.